All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Serious Angler podcast, powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. Back here with the captain, Mr. Andy Full. And as always, I'm your host, Bailey Eigbrett. Andy, thanks for uh, holding down the fort last night while I was not feeling the greatest. Are you feeling any better? Uh, I'm about like, let's say 60% right now. I'm good enough where I got excited to do a podcast tonight. Where last night, I was sitting there, I'm like, man, I want to talk about fantasy fishing, but I'm dreading getting on a podcast. <laughs> I'm like, guys, take over for me. Where tonight, I was really excited to get to Mr. Matt Stefan on here and talk fishing. So I'm like, you know what? My head might hurt towards the end of this thing, but... <laughs> We're talking fishing, so I had to be yeah. here. Fair yeah. enough. I like yeah. it. Well, yeah. welcome back. Glad you're feeling 60% better. I'll use your own words there, but yeah. it's good. To I don't have know you. if it's 60, but it's better than yesterday. It's not yeah. 100%. It's good. Well, we'll somewhere in the continue to feel better and uh, stop staring at computer screens all day. Probably help a little bit. Yeah, my sleep schedule has been absolutely horrible lately, and that is to my own fault. I'm sorry. But, uh, it never I'll fails, though. Mine. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but Lan, uh, my fiance, brought it up the other day. She goes, whenever we have an important event coming up, one of the two of us gets sick. Always. It never fails. Like our friend's wedding last year, uh, my buddy came over one, like literally for 30 minutes. And the next morning, we're about to leave for the wedding. And this was, or no, maybe it was a year and a half or two years ago. Whatever the yeah, COVID was, was like peak. And it was, it was like, like two and a half years ago. I remember this. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, oh, by the way, I have COVID. And it's like. We we're literally about to leave for this wedding, and that was like where the, everyone was like, "Oh, don't be around it, even if you don't know if you're positive or negative." It was that whole craft, so we couldn't go to that. And then she got sick like two days before her bachelor bachelorette party. I got sick before. Well, she came home. My bachelor party was the week after hers. She got me sick for my bachelor party. <laughs> and it's like now we have her best friend's wedding that she's in, and she and I'm sick, so we're I'm, she's trying to keep her distance from me. This week it never fails, man. We never get sick outside of that. Only when there's a big event coming up. Yeah, I feel that happens yeah. to me too usually. I, you know, I've been around you twice in the last like three weeks while you've been kind of sick and I haven't gotten it yet. Thank goodness. Keep wood. it over there. Yeah. Good thing we're outside, right? Like keep it over there. I don't want to well, get sick. I think, I think the eight footers is what negates getting sick while we were in on Sunday. Oh my God. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> that negates all. Yeah. The wind, just like we could have stood. We could have been like hugging and the wind would have blown whatever germs away. So, <laughs> hey, we had prompos going on a few times with those waves just so we wouldn't fall in. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I was like, got you, buddy. <laughs> well said. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, um, that was fun. I remember like going into the tournament, I looked at everyone. I'm like, are you ready for like 9 30, 10? They're like, what? It's going to be calm. I'm like, uh uh. What was it like nine o'clock? It started blowing like 30 out of the West. And I was like, this yeah, sucks. this is going to be bad real fast. My buddies yeah. were joking though, because they saw one of my tournament on Saturday when I was out in Lake Ontario, I was the only kayak angler dumb enough to go out into Lake Ontario when it was a Southwest wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, they see this giant thunderstorm coming. And like, I even looked at the weather, dude. And I said, screw the weather. I even said this on my GoPro. So it'll be on my YouTube video. I'm like, you know what? Screw this. I'm not checking the weather. I'm calling Andy. Andy will know. Like if I should be screwed or not, because I trust Andy more than I trust the weather. Wait, how close was I? Like when I oh, said you nailed you it. An hour you nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> it was like, and my buddies are just like, he took a Snapchat and he sent it to me, and he's like at the thunderstorm and where I went out to, and he's like Wilson. Like <laughs> they thought I was lost. 
it's so good yeah you called me and you're like how's it looking i'm like uh i was like where you're at i was like maybe an hour and a half and i think we talked at like 11 yeah or 11 15 i was like i was on a hike screwed with this (laughs) am i dumb for coming out here (laughs) (laughs) nah just just play it safe and get back before it gets too bad that's all i did leave at a good time but i'm also bummed because i left them absolutely chewing and uh officially so for that tournament uh Got the win. First win of the year, finally. It took me long enough. By 10 um, inches. <clears throat> a good amount. I had 26 pounds on Lake Ontario, all small mouth. It was freaking awesome. Uh, it was so much fun. Like, I was telling Andy afterwards, like, that is exactly how I love to fish. Uh, out deep, big smallies, big water, even though I'm in a freaking Hobie, Hobie kayak, of all things. But uh, I tied the biggest small mouth limit ever recorded in New York from a kayak. Technically, would beat it by tiebreaker, but... I was with the way they were chewing and the way they were showing up on live. I would have easily had 100 inches, if not gotten myself close to 29. Mm-hmm. Not going to throw the 30 pound mark out there because that is just a taboo weight to throw around. But I would have got damn near close uh, at the fish that were pulling in on where I was fishing. Mm-hmm. But it was just a, one of those things where I looked up and I'm like, dude, if I make one more cast, I'm screwed. Like, and I was in probably a good three footers, which for you boat guys, it's no big deal. Right, but in a kayak, the whole thing. Hey, listen, your kayak is almost as long as some bass boats. So, yeah, but the bass boats are four times as wide. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be real here. <laughs> that Hobie's pretty wide, but yeah. Well, either way, it was it was fun, fun, fun day. Uh, catch them, and uh, we'll talk about it more after the fact because I'm too excited for what is coming up for our show today, Mr. Matt Stefan. A new BPT qualifier. Congrats to Matt on that. We'll talk awesome. about that. We'll dive into that here, here soon. But uh, two quick orders of business. Uh, I encourage everyone, uh, if you guys have not checked out the Lure Lab yet, one, check out the episode that Matt Stefan did because we're going to dive into a little bit about that, about the hover rig in, that episode, in this episode. But that is a great breakdown uh, of that on that Lure Lab episode as well as the past ep- this, the most recent episode that you did, Andy, with Brennan from yeah. Moltz. Talking Did you listen to it yet? I've yet to. Maybe. Yeah, um, I would make sure your brain is in order before you listen to it because it's <laughs> very, it's very bland and dry, but it's very educational and it'll get everyone started to pouring their own soft plastics and like the understanding of what plastics you can recycle and melt down and repour, mm. all the way through to how to get started and how to finish and how to make them so they last in your boat and color wise. It, it was really good. It's about an hour long. It's a little long for a Lure Lab episode, but it's a lot of information dropped, so bring a notepad. Heck yeah. Last order of business, I'll make this super quick because we want to get to Matt here, uh, is if you guys are a premium member on Omnia Fishing, there's a giant site-wide sale going on right now. And I will say uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to have Trevor Lowe here on the show to announce some pretty big news, somewhat maybe concerning that. You guys will have to find out when that show comes, but it's coming real soon for Omnia Fishing. Pretty pumped about it. But without further ado, let's get him on here. Mr. Matt Stefan. What's going on, dude? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Heck, yeah. Dude, obviously, we have so many things to get into here, but <laughs> it's been uh, a heck of a grind for you lately. We've been talking about it a little bit offline, but I have to, first thing I have to bring up before we get into our normal show cadence here, we, and we, you touched on it. I'm like, we have to talk about this first on this show, but Matt, Matt Becker told us 
to ask you about the Sasquatch. <laughs> Can you dive uh, into the Sasquatch? What does this? What does it mean? What is the meaning behind the Sasquatch? Yeah. Uh, well, what he's referring to. So Matt's Matt's had the first hand story that I think I've shared with him probably a couple of times at this point. But yeah, I had. Uh, I mean, I would call it a sighting. I guess. Uh, I don't know what year it was probably back in like 2013. I was driving to a tournament with my team partner and we uh, were in Northern Wisconsin. We were taking some back roads uh, to avoid kind of to get around a little town. And uh, it's probably five 30 in the morning. And I made a right hand turn onto a road and right in the middle of the road was this big black object. And both of us, both of us at the same time said bear, because you know, we have a lot of black bear up here and, as we said that this object like looked over its shoulder because it's its butt was facing us and it looked over oh its God. shoulder it stood up on two feet and took two steps and was gone into the woods like the fastest moving big object i've ever seen right and running uh, on its like hind legs well it looked it looked like a human running basically you know i I've, I've seen bear stand on two legs but in this case it was a uh, I don't know. It was, it was ridiculous what we saw. And we, we sat, we sat there for probably a half hour, never said a word to each other. And my buddy then goes, if I didn't know better and I just cut him off, I said, Bigfoot. He's like, yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> Where's the, the, the fun, we need to bring him in on this real fast. That's the, all the, I have to say. <laughs> the fun part to the story really isn't even the sighting. It's the, uh, the fact that, <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> I had a, uh, so we, we went and fished the tournament and I was talking to my mom, like I don't, several days later. And I was like, oh yeah, by the way, we were driving through this little town, you know, Phillips on the way up to the Hayward area. And I was like, if I didn't know better, I'd say we saw Bigfoot. And my mom's like, well, have there ever been sightings in Wisconsin? I'm like, I've never heard of any. And my, my big dumb self gets on google and starts googling it and the hotbed for bigfoot sightings in wisconsin is right around this town of phillips wisconsin the same town i was taking back roads to avoid and uh, so much so that apparently they call him they call him big phil and like that's the nickname (laughs) and while i while i was googling it uh i came across some website that took like sightings you could report your sightings so i reported my sighting and that led to uh phone calls from the uh was it finding bigfoot the tv show they wanted to get me on the show and like it's been non-stop like it pops up you know every every couple years it pops up and it's just this big ordeal but we uh yeah, it's just something now that people like to make fun of me. I mean, like I, I was telling you earlier, I probably have twenty five Bigfoot shirt, shirts that people have sent me, and the you know on the on the wall I've got a Portlandia wine display that my boys cover with stickers, and it's just part of. I guess it's at this point it's part of me. That the thing is, like, I'm not a Bigfoot guy. Like, I'm not like. <laughs> I, I honestly, I wish I had not seen what I saw because now, like when I go in the woods by myself, <laughs> I actually get the willies. Like it's not, it's not something I, yeah, I had, I like, I don't know. I don't know at this yeah. point. <laughs> the one thing I would probably recommend is not hunting near that town. 
Well, I for sure I'm I'm not up there. I can tell you that, but I, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are up there hunting. There's the the thing is there's been uh, the I I don't believe it's the current owners of Saint Croix. Maybe I'm wrong in this. Maybe it is the current owners, but the Saint Croix headquarters are like right in that area. They're a little bit north of there, and the owners uh, who have cabins up in that area have talked about you know, their strange encounters before. So you can actually find other credible sources as to uh, people that have experienced some weird things in that area. Hmm. You, you asked, so I shared. Mm. I loved, I love it. I'm all for it. So a good buddy of mine, Alex Rudd, he's a big, big, uh, Bigfoot yeah. Sasquatch guy. And oh, is I don't know if I believe it or not. I just love the idea of a Sasquatch. Like, dude, you mentioned that show that finding Bigfoot, I was a big like Bobo fan where I used to, I loved watching the show just for the idea. My buddies and I would go out in our woods, like around town and totally try doing like tree knocking and everything they did on the show just for fun, <laughs> just being kids, being dumb. But I would love to think yeah. that it's real. I mean, that, my only that's sightings like... I thought were Bigfoot were actually bears at night. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. I, all I can say is at this point, I wish I had not seen what I saw because I'm not a Bigfoot guy. Like if you, I feel like I'm a pretty common sense dude. And mm -hmm. at this point, if they truly existed, I feel like we would have really good encounters yeah. with it. But then like, so I would, my, my, my mind tells me no, but I'm like, but I saw something like, <laughs> so, and it wasn't just me. It's my team partner. I mean, he saw the same thing. So it's not like I'm just yeah, a crazy only dude. It's both of us saw the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's a story you guys got for forever. So <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like Andrew's sitting there like, who do we got a nut job on tonight? Absolutely not. I'm I'm trying to think like <sighs> I personally I do think like Bigfoot, like like I'm like 75 25 that it's like a real deal. It's just because there's so many like creatures in life forms in on earth, right? Like fish, all kinds of species that they're still finding today. So who knows? Like there's so much vast area in parts of the world that have never even been explored. I'm sure there's like parts of national parks that have hardly ever had foot traffic through, and that's where they could be. Yeah. You never know. So yeah, it's just it's crazy to think about, but yeah, it could also be aliens, right? Like we got a comment down here, Jeff Donnelly. They, the government did say aliens are real, so maybe you never know. <laughs> True, you never know. What yeah. yeah, maybe Bigfoot is actually an alien. There we go. We I, I love these things more so. I don't know. I'm always, I'm always go back and forth on if I believe it or not. I more so love these things like aliens or Bigfoot, or whatever, because I feel like a kid again. Yeah. I don't know why. I, I think that's the biggest thing I love. Is like, something to rally least, behind? Yeah, like Alex and I have literally talked about starting a Bigfoot podcast because we just love the idea of it so much. Mm. Whether we're, we're called crazy or not, it just you feel like a kid. But we're not here to talk about Bigfoot on this podcast. But either way, I had to bring that up just because I thought it was very entertaining. Uh, <laughs> but, dude, uh, for real, congrats on the win. I'm sure your, uh, your phone has been blowing up ever since. Uh, but... It's a it's a big and it's a nice way to stamp your uh, your next chapter in getting to the yeah. Bass Pro Tour. Yeah, it was a it was a great end to the season. You know, it's a, it actually 
it's great to have the season over with, have everything finalized, but it's also from an angling standpoint, I think you guys wouldn't feel probably the same way when you're fishing really well, you don't necessarily want to stop fishing. So part of me wishes I had some more tournaments coming up, but um, yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a relief to have qualified for the next level. It's a relief to finally have that first win off my shoulders. Like there's, it was, I, it was just a great season. Like I, I really can't complain. The, the funny thing is like, when I look back on it, I've had so many things going on this year that I, I, I don't want to say I wasn't as prepped for the tournaments, but I really feel like I kind of, you know, I was, I was so busy with everything going on that I showed up and really just fished more, with what the lake was telling me at the time versus like my, you know, pre my pre, you know, my studying of lake maps and whatever ahead of time. So I, I think, I I don't know if that's something I need to do more of in the, in the future and just kind of stop looking and trying to get as much research as I can done. But um, it was just a great year. It really was. So kind of not asking for like a full season download, um, but we had Keith Carson on here too to talk about something similar. Um, yeah. and I'm kind of curious from your perspective, you know, highs of the season and lows of the season. Uh, you know, highs where you know you kind of had you know hopes that it would end like this, or maybe a low where you're like, ah, maybe it's not this year. Kind of walk us through where those were and why you thought those. Yeah, I mean, the high the high was clearly the win at the Mississippi River. Uh to have my a pile of family, a pile of friends there to do it. in one of my favorite places to fish, not that I have that much experience there, but to do it on a body of water that I just love to fish. I love the tunnel across like it, that was, that was truly special. And and the way that went down, like with the locks and potentially not being able to weigh in like that, it, looking back on it, I would not change a thing because it's a great stories. It, it's great you know, it just, it's a really good story for not just myself, but like my entire family and friends and everyone was really into that tournament. So I love it. And I had that gone differently. I wouldn't feel that way, but, uh, it really was a great week. The, the low point, the, the low point, I mean, when I look at my year, I had, I had five tournaments that was in the top 21. And then I had one event where I was 62nd at the Potomac river but I was in 20th after the first day. So had I, I think had I finished 42nd or higher in that event, I would have won angler of the year. So Mm. like when I look back on it, I really feel like that second day of the Potomac river was my, my bad day of the year. That's the one that really, I guess, hurt me the most. Um, I don't know that I could have changed a whole lot. I just never, I caught a lot of keepers. I just never got the quality fish that I got the first day and I was fishing the same area was the first day there were you know a lot of guys in that area but a lot of guys came out of there like Keith Carson with a, a good bag and so I'm, I'm disappointed with that but I there really weren't that many downfalls for the season it was a it was a really good year hmm. was there a point in the season that when you look back maybe a catch or a key adjustment that you meet that you made that you think like when you look back that really stands out to you yeah well what the the funny thing is as good as the year was my practice periods were terrible like hmm. for several of those events so 
uh, you know, I can look at many of the events, like the first one of the year on Okeechobee. I, I did not find the area I was going to fish till the end of the third day of practice. And having that, like I only had two good bites in that area on a topwater bait, but I decided to start there. And that turned out to be a, you know, I, a top 20 spot for me. Same thing happened when we went to Clarks Hill Lake. I had a really bad practice at Clarks Hill Lake in terms of any fish's size. And I just picked an area and said, I'm going to go camp out in this area and, and really figured it out. Uh, it towards the second half of the first day of the tournament and then had two good bags on days two and three. And then, uh, the same thing at the Mississippi river. I mean, I, I had everything that I wanted to do there. All of my prior history there was pretty much wiped out by the river being at like really, really low levels to the point where backwaters were completely stagnant water, which I've, I had never seen out there. So I had to, I had to throw a lot of it out the window and adjust. And that, that really was how the whole year went. The only, the only tournament that went kind of as planned, I guess, was Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, cause I had a really good first day, but day two was not good to the point where I threw it out the window and day three, I went a completely different direction and ended up catching a really good bag, just practicing again. So, I mean, it was a, it was a year of adjustments. That's for sure. It seems like you have a very easy time of going into tournament day, not knowing what your first move is going to be. <laughs> I, I, I'm comfortable with it at this point because I'm, I'm confident enough in my fishing ability to adjust throughout the day. Mm -hmm. The reality of it is, you know, that's not the ideal, right? Like right. after three right. days of practice, we want to know what we're going to do. The, the funny part though, is a lot of times, and I think a lot of anglers will, will say this, that the best tournaments result from bad practices because you mm -hmm. do go into the tournament still with a lot of, uh, uh, without those preconceived notions or those spots that you're relying the tournament on and you're, you're fishing the moment, you're just going ahead practicing. And if you can figure it out at that point, you're, you're fishing the freshest pattern going and that, that can result in a great tournament. Now it doesn't always work out that, that way, but this year for me really turned, turned out that way. Like I really feel like I was adjusting consistently. Yeah. Was there a, was there a single bait or anything that you think that was kind of like your MVP this year? Man, <sighs> not, I mean, there wasn't one specific bait. I really power fished a lot this year. Um, you know, lots of top waters, lots of vibrating jigs, uh, a lot of flipping, you know, I did use uh, my own core tackle stuff in, in several of the events to catch a bunch of my fish. Uh, the only, the only event that I really feel like I, finesse fish in was the mississippi river where i probably should have been power fishing or what most people would say you'd generally be power fishing but that was the one where i kind of went the opposite direction and uh but every every tournament was kind of a different a different deal for me makes sense yeah that mississippi river deal was I remember I was talking with like Brad Rutherford and such over at Pure Fishing. Everyone's just yeah. kind of freaking out. Like, is the barge gonna open? Or is the barge gonna get out of the way? Will the will the dam open? You know, it was like yeah. uh, lots riding riding on the line of guys being able to yeah. lock through right now. <laughs> there was there was a lot a lot of money uh, stuck up, up in Pool Seven 
that that needed to get back. Not and I'm not just talking about me. I think five of the top six guys were would have been locked out. So oh, you're talking boy. about like the the top paying spots and standings would have been completely changed. I don't know for a fact, but somebody one of the major league fishing staff members told me that the AOI results could have been changed because there would have been enough place movement that was going on. So it really would have had a, a big effect. Uh, not just our tournament standings, but potentially the season standings. And, you know, for me, uh, I had already locked up my my Bass Pro Tour qualification after day, day two, so it wouldn't have affected that. But I like it was such an emotional roller coaster because I'm I didn't really feel like I had ever won that event until I talked to or had a shot at winning until I talked to Steve Lopez, who was w- winning the event after day two. But he was doing pretty much the same thing I was and, you know, in a similar in in pool seven somewhere. I know he was somewhere around me. I don't know exactly where he was, but we uh, I I assumed that he because he was catching the same quality fish that he would have had 15 plus pounds. And he had a 12 ounce lead on me going into the day. So I kind of really thought I needed 16 or more to have a shot. And I had. I weighed 15.8, so I, I really didn't think I had it until we were waiting outside the lock, and he came up to me and asked me what I had, and we discussed what we each had. And at that point, I was like, man, I might have this, but I, I don't think I'm going to be able to weigh the fish in. So it was like, man, I've got enough weight, but I'm I'm not going to, you know, nobody will ever know. They're like, this is my my chance. And, you know, there's a lot of negative thoughts that go through your brain when that's happening. And uh mm-hmm. It, it worked out. It worked. We, we made it back. It worked out. But I think if you were to ask all of us at two o'clock, when we have to be back at two 30 and the barge is still sitting there in the lock that we weren't, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And I think that's the frustrating part about it. Uh, from my point of view is when it's out of your own hands, like I feel like I would rather lose at my, from my own hands, my own doing than something I can't control. <laughs> You know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like I, a a lot of what I was actually trying to think about was like, how am I going to, how am I going to explain this to all of my family and friends that are on that dock thinking he's got enough weight to win this. But like, I I mean, there's a big part of me, part of me that would feel like I let them down because I made a bad decision to stay up there. And I don't know that I'd have any more control over it than another situation, but it it really was like, how, you know, how, how, and how am I going to take this? Like, am am I going to quit fishing after this? Like, am I going to be done? Like I've had enough close calls and this is just, this would be the worst, the worst way to cap off another. Kick you down while you're waiting there waiting, right? Like just, yeah. I mean, I've, I feel like I've had five other professional level tournaments that I've had the fish on to win and I did not execute. And then in this case to have the fish in the live well to win, but then not be able to weigh them in. Yeah. That's it would just, it would be like a kick to the crotch. That's all the I guess. I hate me. External <laughs> yeah. force is just all against you at once. It's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Brutal. if you had tried to go, back sooner and say lock soon locked out or lockdown sooner what do you have had the weight you had like did it make a difference that you came down the no well yeah actually i uh i did call one so we 
we we all thought we could fish till about one o'clock ish, which is an hour and a half before check in. There was a what happened with the barge is the barge that actually caught us in the morning. So we had a about a two hour delay in the morning. And uh, Sheila K. Barger was the barge's name. She she locked from pool seven into pool eight. So we were we all saw that on our apps and you can track that barge moving. Well, it, it that barge must have gone somewhere in the near vicinity of the dam. It unloaded one container of its six and then came right back to lock up to pool seven, which is not generally what happens. Generally, I mean, they go one direction and they could be going to the Gulf of Mexico for all we know. But because we weren't checking our app until like 11 o'clock at that point, the barge had unloaded and come back and it was sitting right below the lock and it was staging to come up basically is what it was. But when you check the app, we all saw it below the dam still sitting where we left it in the morning. So we just assumed it tied up like a lot of barges do. They get some sleep and then they continue on. And uh, so we weren't, we weren't expecting that by any means. And, you know, could, could I have tried the lock back? I don't think, I think I would have had to lock back before 1130. And at that point I probably would have had at least one, one coal, whether that coal, that coal helped me about a half pound. So I don't know that it would have actually changed the winning weight, but, or changed the outcome, mm-hmm. but it would have changed it. I mean, that that's the funny thing about all this right now. I, there's part of me that questions had that barge not been there. Maybe I wouldn't have won the event because Steve could have got to fish or one of the other guys could have fished for an extra half hour, an hour, and maybe would have called up and actually passed me. Hmm. So it's, it's, you know, it's hard to say at this point, I, I don't, I don't feel like I would change anything about how I approach that. You know, the, the crazy part really is the fact that all of us that were going to pool seven, we had a barge every morning. And in the afternoon we had barges that were coming down that we had to lock back by about 12 or 1230 to make sure we got through before they got there. So we, you know, by the time we were fishing about 9am every morning and we were leaving by like noon. So to get the weights that we had is really impressive in my opinion, because we were only fishing for three, three and a half hours a day in the areas where we really wanted to fish. I mean, I never, I never had a, I never caught a way fish anywhere outside of my main stretch of grass in pool seven. Dang. So how much time did you get back? Well, how much time was left when you got back to the dock? Like we, so we, by yeah, by the time on the final day, we got back with about five minutes to check in. So, I mean, it was, which in tournament world is not that close, but it really is when you're talking about a locking (laughs) process in between. So it, it, and, and it's also, uh, it's only, I think like four, four and a half miles from the lock to where our takeoff was. So it's not like, you know, we, the, the issue was the lock. It wasn't the running time by any means. Right. Yeah. I mean, that could take one chatty Kathy of a, you know, lock master and you guys are showing, oh, yeah. showing up late. We have yeah. a, a funny count from Andy Leonard here. Did the lock master get a box of jerky sent to him? <laughs> uh the the lock ma- i can tell you i did not send the lock master anything but i can tell you the lock master ate a lot of meat products that that week with uh myself and steve lopez who's sponsored by another meat meat brand so it was like 
They they were getting product in the locks. I can tell you that. You want to keep you want to keep the lockmasters happy. The last thing you want to do is piss them off. Yeah. <laughs> right, here comes this guy. We're gonna race up half the speed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the doors just got the doors just broke. It's gonna be a two hours while we fix it. And it's like, did it really break, or you just toyed yeah. with us? Doors jammed. <laughs> well, we're going to lunch. See you guys later. Like. They, you know, their, their job is to get commercial traffic up and down the river. So like the whole, every time I'm on the river, I always feel like the bass boats are just kind of like the bees around the hive, you know, we're just buzzing around and we're just in the way. And, you know, when you have a big tournament with 150 guys, you know, there's a pile of guys that are calling the lock master. Like, is there a barge coming? Isn't there like, and they, they do not enjoy that. That just interferes with their real line of work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine how many calls they get on normal circumstances like that. That's got to be absolutely insane. But, um, so, I mean, now that qualify for BPT, you know, we were talking about a little bit of boat stuff here offline before we started the show, but have you started your prep or anything of like that for, for next year? No, you know, I, I got an email yesterday with the, like the official invite, you know, saying that I officially was in, I haven't, I, I don't, I really don't know what to expect. I, uh, I haven't, I haven't really, you know, we don't know what the schedule is. I don't know, uh, from that standpoint, I haven't really sat back and looked at, you know, anything regarding the red, red crest qualification that I have. It's, you know, I got to really dive into the rules and make sure that I'm familiar with the rules because there's a bunch of different rules with respect to it. But um, no, I haven't. You know, <laughs> the last two weeks have been so busy with kind of catching up on stuff. My entire month of July was really busy to begin with, you know, with ICAST and tournaments. And I had a family vacation where the last thing I really needed to do was win an event because it just set me back that much further and a bunch of things I was trying to do. So the last two weeks have really been straight catch up time. Uh, and from that standpoint, you know, it's kind of now starting to move into, okay, I got to start prepping for, for next year, whether that's the business side of things with sponsors and, and boats and all of that, as well as just kind of getting familiar with the rules. And hopefully we get a schedule sometime soon. That would be nice. So I can kind of start planning around that, but um, I'm still just kind of t- trying to trying to enjoy the the taste of victory, I guess. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty fresh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I just have to win another one next year, right? Like you just jump into the next one. Uh, man, I'm I'm hoping it's kind of that wave. You know, you see some guys get that first one out of the way, and it just is like dominoes. I would I, that would be amazing. Um, and I don't I don't. I'm kind of surprised it took me this long. I mean, to be honest, like I, I really felt like I had a lot of good opportunities. I've had a lot of, I've, I've consistent enough where I feel like I've put myself close enough to be in contention and just haven't capitalized. So to, to have it is great, but it, you know, I want, I want more at this point. <laughs> I want yeah. them to keep coming. Absolutely. I want that fire to stay lit for sure. Yeah. I mean, have you had any time to think about like, not just the business side, but like you fishing wise, like, are you going to adjust anything or is you just kind of keep steady flow of your process? Yeah. You know, one, well, one thing that I've kind of 
I always try to evaluate my seasons and things I can do better and things that, you know, I, I need to work on. But one, one thing that I really feel like happened this year, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier was like how busy I've been, whether that's with core tackle or YouTube content, you know, fishing tournaments. I I'm so fully submerged in the fishing industry right now that like everything I do is, is fishing related. And I'm always thinking about different things. So from that standpoint, I feel like that's really kept me at the top of my game, even though it's not all necessarily on the water, but it's, it's just continuously thinking and talking about fishing versus, you know, in the past, it was a lot of, okay, I'm going to prep for this tournament, but now, you know, now it's like, okay, I'm building rods for specific, uh, specific tackle. And then I'm building tackle. And it's like, you're, I'm, I feel like I'm so in tune with how little changes can affect certain things that it's just helping my fishing performance overall. But uh, to answer your question, like, I don't really feel like I, I need to change anything. I just want to keep the momentum going of all these different fishing related endeavors. And, and I'm hoping that that continues to relay into really good fishing on the water. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, in from regards to style, you know, back when it was the old format, there was an adjustment. There was something to change from the BPT format when it yeah. was, you know, everything over two pounds or whatever they'd have it for location. But now that's the same five fish. It really isn't much you have to yeah. change. It's just, yeah, I'm just different in regards to days. It could be longer. Yeah, just a little different from that standpoint, but I mean, I'm basically trying to catch five big fish and I release them on the spot. I mean, that's kind of yeah. how I look at it. So I don't think that there's going to be, if I do anything, it could be maybe a little bit of research in terms of trying to figure out like what weights are needed to advance to the next round. Like, is it, I've always kind of been more of a guy that likes to keep the gas you know the the throttle mm -hmm. on the gas and in this case maybe that's not what i want to do you know if i feel like i'm really secured in the top 20 to move to the next round maybe it's about okay I, there's no reason at this point to try yeah. to upgrade you know in, in, in normal tournaments yeah if you've got a good bag but if you can upgrade still to an even better bag that just mm -hmm. makes it harder for other people to catch you but in this case you truly could just be burning fish for for further days yeah, like there'd be no point and you're just you're hurting yourself. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Um oh, I just had a question and I totally just lost it. Um, but it was gonna pertain to with the off days. Is that something you're looking forward to, or is that something where you're like if you had full steam on one day and you're like, Oh, so I'm gonna get back out the next day and you see the conditions aren't gonna be right, you know, in two yeah. days. I'm uh you know, I have so I fished the uh, Lake St. Clair event two years ago. I finished second at the St. Lawrence River for a, a major league fishing pro circuit event at that time. And I got, they took in those events, they took the top four into, a, into the next BPT event. So I, I have fished the uh, Lake St. Clair one two years ago. And then our title championship two years ago as well uh, was under that same format. So it's something that I'm, familiar with i you know at there's things that are really nice about days off and there's things that are not great about it you know i ideally from an expense standpoint it is just additional travel and you know you're you're renting 
houses or hotel nights, you know, additional nights. So it is more expensive to do it. There are things though that are nice too, in terms of, you know, working on the boat, working on the tackle, I can do sponsor things. Um, you know, what I would really like to do is try to get my family to travel with me to a couple, mm -hmm. because if you've got those off days, you know, if we went to a place like the Kissimmee chain, you've got Disney world right there. Like you could go spend some good family time too, during the middle of the tournament. So I'll, you know, when the schedule finally comes out, I'll take a look at it and see, see how it falls. But, you know, if, if I could choose, I probably would say I'd rather not have an off day, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, man, off days, man. You could take the kids Bigfoot hunting. <laughs> that won't sound like something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, we are yeah. full-time fisherman, part-time Bigfoot chaser. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like Bailey's just trying to invite you on as the third host to his and Rudd's uh, Bigfoot. That's right. Uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll leave that. Yeah, I'll leave that up to you guys. You you guys sound like you can you can cover that just just fine on your own. <laughs> yeah, we got two nut jobs. I don't know if we need a, need a third. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, man. oh, that's funny. Um, but dude, I mean, it's got to be pretty exciting, though. Are you gonna try to fish the invitationals as well next year? Or are you just gonna try to focus solely on PPT? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna consider it. I I would be surprised if I end up fishing the full season. Uh, unless they have some sort of championship, if they make some changes to it. But I, I could definitely see myself jumping in a few if the scheduling works out. You know, if, if I'm if I'm starting the season on Okeechobee and they're the week before or the week after on, you know, Toho or someplace that's on my way back, I would I would definitely consider it. Um but until we have the schedules, I won't know. I mean the priority for sure is going to be BPT, but right. I I really thought the invitationals this year were a very good tournament circuit. Like I, I didn't, I did not expect them to be run as well as they were and to be mm -hmm. as, as well received as they were. And they, MLF did a great job running them. So I, I would definitely consider fishing them. I mean, there's, I've heard rumors there might be some changes to payouts and that type of thing. And, you know, if they're, <clears throat> if they're positive changes, that makes them better. If they're negative changes, it probably makes me not want to fish them as well, because even though there are some big payouts to be had, and I had a very good year from an earning standpoint, the reality is, you know, you're, they're just like the opens. If you break even, you're coming out of there with a good finish, but you just broke even. Right. Yeah. Now, money aside, I mean, invitational-wise, uh, what additions or changes would you like to see, like a championship or things of that nature? For the invitationals? For the invitationals, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I think a championship is a must. I mean, I, it really bothers me when we don't have a championship for any of these multi-tournament circuits. Like the the Bass Opens, in my opinion, you're asking guys to fish nine events. There should be some form of championship or at least angler of the year payout for guys that committed that much time to it the same thing for the invitationals you're going to fish six tournaments travel all over the country you know when i when i go back and look at the results uh in the payouts i mean there there's guys in the top 20 that did not win back their their uh entry fees let alone their travel expenses so 
you know, when you look at it, the championship has always been an event that really helped guys generate income from the tournaments themselves because there was no entry fee and it was show up and you could finish last and you still were walking away with $10,000 in your pocket. And that's kind of a lot of times what what made the season when you looked at just payouts to entry fees and didn't take into account like sponsor mm-hmm. dollars or anything. So for me, that would be the number one thing. I, I think that would be a huge ordeal to get a championship back. Other than that, I just I would love to see a a better uh, risk reward ratio from a payout to a, a entry fee to payout ratio. The the invitationals were paying eighty percent, which you know when you compare it to say the opens, it's better than the opens. But you know that that's still a hefty membership fee, which is what I like to call it. I mean, it's a $5,000 entry fee. That means $4,000 is coming back to the pot and a thousand dollars is going to running the the tournament. And that's a lot to be taking from a $5,000 entry fee. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, and, and, and I'm not necessarily saying like these organizations are just claiming that money. I mean, it may cost that much to run the tournaments. You know, the, the reality is, from a, a business standpoint for the anglers, <clears throat> you know, it's it's tough to make a living when you're not fishing for even your full entry fee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and not having a championship, it's like you don't have something you're looking forward to. I mean, I understand yeah. that you're competing for the BPT spot, but I totally get your point there. That makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, there's a you know, when they ended the season in lacrosse, I mean, there's a lot of guys from down south that don't want to drive all the way to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's if, a heavy you're not fishing, if you're not fishing for a championship and you're not fishing for, you know, if you don't have a shot at being in the top eight for BPT, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that dropped out. Now, they were able to fill those spots, but there were still a lot of anglers that were registered for the full season that did not compete in the last event. And anything you can do to retain those anglers is a, is a bonus. And that's where you're talking about better payouts and championships. Makes sense. So off season, um, I'm sure you're probably going to be going some heavy, some heavy core tackle stuff. Is that going to be ramping up while you're getting prepped for next season? Is there already a full swing ahead? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, we're full swing ahead at this point. We've got, uh, uh, I've probably got seven or eight different prototypes I'm working on, uh, Ooh. Different, you know, just different designs. Uh, some of them are pretty much ready to go. Some of them we've put into production. Others I've got like this grand idea in my head and I just can't figure out how to how to make it happen. So, you know, the reality is at this point, we've been extremely well received. The feedback uh, from the anglers regarding the two products that we have out, the, the hover rig and then the ultimate swim bait head, which we refer to as the tush. You know, those, those two, uh, those two have been phenomenal. I mean, they're actually, they're the top two selling terminal tackle items at tackle warehouse right now. So they're, they've been received well. Uh, so we're continuing to come out with additional sizes of, of both of those, uh, we're have weedless versions, non weedless versions. And then, like I said, I've got these other designs that, uh, some of them ready to go. Some of them aren't, but they're all very unique in their own right. And, uh, you know, our, our approach is we try to take certain techniques and kind of change them to uh, hopefully fix some of the problems that we see, we see with them. 
Yeah, I've been I've been playing with it. I've only been out a couple times where I exclusively tried to only throw that and learn it. And I've yep. I took it to and Andy knows I took it to a fishery that has a lot of numbers, but it's hard to get big fish to eat. You see them, but it's hard to get them to eat. And there was no problem getting them to eat and the hovering. <laughs> it was it was pretty cool to see the difference it made. I mean, I, I have a lot more I want to do with it, but it, it's yeah. it was pretty. I was thinking about just because I've watched your videos on it, watched the Lure Lab episode on it, and I'm thinking about like the presentation of you could do a certain baits, and there's no other way, like rigging wise, to make certain baits act the way they do. Yeah, it's it's been really cool because we've. With the hover rig, we've been able to basically take a lot of a lot of standard plastics that have been around for a long time and give them a little bit of new life because they can be presented in a completely different manner. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's cool too because you can fish that thing basically from the surface all the way down to the bottom and suspended in between. So it's it's such a new technique for all of us. Uh, you know, I think I really feel like the hover strolling technique, which is what we designed that around, uh, can be fished in so many different ways. And I, I really feel like it's kind of untouched at this point, too, and untapped, I should say, in that I think there's going to be a lot of specialty baits that probably are developed for for this type of rigging. We're seeing several other companies now coming out with very similar style uh, hooks. You know, I, I feel like it's it's here to stay. And I I really think it's a, a fish catching machine myself. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for that, that technique. You know, it's been a, a huge opportunity for core tackle because it's kind of allowed us the, the ability now to pursue some of these other baits and designs that we wanted to take on as well. Yeah. Uh, we have a question here from Brown Bait Co. Brandon over there <laughs> asking yeah. if we'll see a 12 watt hover rig or, 12 uh, Tosh. He's he's a big swim bait guy. And so I asked. Yep. Tush. Yep. Big old Tush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh not in the near future, but you know, I know he's he's got the big old swim baits. I'm a I'm a big musky guy. And mm. we we've we've already discussed this. Like it's not like we haven't. It's more of a uh before we get to what I would like it's already a niche market. That's really, that would be very much a niche size. And I could definitely see us doing it. I don't think it'll be, you know, this year. That's for sure. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Got a, got a lot of Yeah. That's a, that's a big, that's a big hook and a lot of lead, but there are, I mean, I, there's applications for sure in the bass market too, to have that. It's just one of those, it's a very specialized field at that point mm-hmm. that would specialized angler. That's going to be using those for sure. So if uh, I'm not going to ask you to give up any secret juice that you don't want to give up, but if you had to take two baits that are your favorite to What's put on pressure? that hover rig, what two are you going to take? Yeah. Well, it kind of depends on species. Um, okay. I'll tell you, I'll, right now, I so I started, my main bait that I designed it around was the four and a quarter inch Berkeley Maxent flatworm. Mm-hmm. And that, so I love it with that. I love it with the four inch Kitek Shad Impact, which is a, a great bait. Uh, you can actually get the bait almost to vibrate like a, a lipless crankbait. And then lately... Oh man, I've got the, the bass tricks, flash tricks 
is an amazing bait on there. Uh, the uh, Jackal Rhythm Wag is another really good one. It, it's honestly, it's one of those things. It's hard. It's hard to find a bait that doesn't act differently. Like if you're talking the bigger sizes for flipping, the Berkeley Max Scent Creature Hog. I mean, that's what I I had a top twenty on at Grand Lake in Oklahoma flipping that thing around, and uh, it's just the. That and that's kind of what I meant before about it being somewhat untapped. Like there's so many baits out there that have never been tried on it. I'm sure that you know there's a there's a lot of opportunity there for people to uncover some some hidden little gems. But those those four or five that I rattled off are ones that I have on all the time. Yeah. From watching your content, you sold me on the creature hog with that thing. And I went and I filmed some underwaters with it. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. They, the, they yeah, just the, it is it's so freaking cool. <laughs> the the cool thing with some of those creature style baits, it's it's all it's the they glide really well in the fall, but it's actually when you like snap it off the bottom and yeah, instead of the bait coming up, it actually, you know, because it's a 90 degree hook, it actually darts hmm. like stays close to the bottom, but skitters left and right. And that's, in my opinion, a very good way to trigger a reaction strike from the fish. I, I noticed that. And I noticed there was one time I was watching on live where these fish were a little bit deeper on a tree where I threw that with the creature hog. And I noticed the creature hog did exactly what you meant, where it could almost walk side to side. Yep. And I was reeling the bait back and they chased it up. And they wouldn't eat it. So I started knocking the slack and started walking side to side. And that's when yeah. I ate it. And I'm like, this is open up a whole new can of worms yeah. right now. <laughs> it, and that, that it yeah. really is like, it's, it's, I, I just feel like every time I go out, I, I try to try different baits. I try like different retrieves and it, it can be used from the surface to the bottom. Like mm-hmm. it can 30 foot of water. You can fish it in two foot of water. It's really a good a good it's a change of pace i i really feel like in five years when guys are like yeah i'm finesse fishing with a drop shot a wacky rig a hover rig like a ned rig it's going to be right in the middle of it you know i expect it to stick around at this point i i I think so (laughs) it's it's definitely one of those things uh when you look at it it's, it's like intriguing but i think once people can see what it does underwater yeah. That's when you kind of get, which I think would be interesting. You know, over time we see these ebbs and flows of the fishing industry from a tackle standpoint. Like, you know, we see like the reemergence of spinner baits where they kind of died off for a little bit. And I wonder if this is something that's going to be so crazy where, you know, in 10 years, the Texas rig becomes a little bit better or and then, you know, then it'll yeah. go back. You know what I mean? Like it'll be, the cycles, <laughs> the ebb and flows. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It, 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 it that's what happens in the fishing industry so i mean mm-hmm. if, if that were to happen i think it would be i think it would be amazing uh amazing for that hover strolling technique and the hover rig and uh i i yeah i think it's sticking around i feel like it's it's really is kind of an advancement on a jig head and i'm not just saying that because i designed it but i feel like the jig head had been so stagnant right for a while yeah. you know it's here's a ball of lead and here's a hook coming out of it and this is this is a little bit different and i i really feel like it's going to open up a box of worms and you're going to see a lot of people kind of exploring different ways to manipulate hooks really is what it comes to well i am extremely excited to see what you guys are working on right now because i feel <laughs> like so many people are like oh innovations is dead in fishing tackle 
Uh, and maybe a year ago, I probably would have agreed with it. But the, what you guys did just from a simple rigging aspect yeah. with a jig head, I feel like I was like, oh, crap. I wonder if you could do this now. Like No one really thought of it that way. And I'm sure you guys yeah. are way down that train. Yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of where we're going. I mean, you know, the, the core tackle name is a lot of that is based off of like the core the coreness of a bait, right? Like the body of the bait. And there's not anything we're working on right now. That's like, like anything else, I guess that you could say, I mean, everything is not that it's like super craziness, but it's a lot of it is just like, we've Johnny Schultz and I are tackle tinkerers through and through and, we've been doing it for a long time and we just never had the outlet to actually try to produce anything. So we're bringing back we're we're bringing, you know, we're trying to create ideas that some, you know, between the two of us we've had for a long time. And I, I don't, I, I don't think we're doing anything crazy. I, I just feel like we're thinking outside of the box and not looking at what's out there right now to come up with what other people are doing. Well, and I think that is the unfortunate thing of fishing tackle nowadays is that thinking outside the box is thinking about not copying something else. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah, it's, I mean, we definitely see a lot of it going on Mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily help the innovation aspect of things. Like you said, I mean, and we're, we don't, we don't want to be doing what other people are doing. I mean, we're, we're trying to we're trying, we're really just trying to make baits for us. And then if we can sell them to help fund our own love affair of our own baits, that's what we're after. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I mean, for all I know, core tackle, maybe it'll be kicked to the curb in a couple of months and we were just a fad, but I, I really feel like we've got some staying power and we're, you know, we're trying to grow the company. The thing is, you know, it's not like we can just produce every, idea right off the bat we want them to be well thought out well tested and in order to come to market with it it's not necessarily a cheap endeavor either so you know to 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 do it all is a slow process but we we want to do it the right way you know we don't want to just kick a bunch of crap out there it's not you guys that's pouring all those is it No, no, we've got, uh, you know, a major production facility doing it in the U S for us. Uh, it's, it's, that's actually, they've been amazing to work with, like to help design a lot of the stuff, you know, some of the stuff we've designed right here in the basement and then you take it to them and you basically say, can you make a mold for this? And, but they've, they've been amazing to work with and it's really been more of a, it's just a slow process. I mean, you know, between getting molds made and testing and, you know, you, you, you got to test it. You got to make sure it does what you want. And the, I mean, just with the couple that we came out with, they look so simple, but guys, I'm telling you, we, we had four prototypes of the tush and three of the hover rig, you know, so to go back and forth, you're talking months of testing back and forth and it takes a while to get the molds and, you know, and maybe we didn't necessarily need to do that, but we wanted it to be how we wanted it to be. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to look back and be like, I wish we had changed this. Yeah. If it's not perfect, don't release it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how, I mean, I think that can kill you to a point too, but yeah. it, it really, uh, if you're going to make the change, do it during prototyping versus in production phase. Yeah. That makes sense. For sure. 
Uh, Andy, you got anything left for Matt here? I could talk this specific hover rig for hours. Yeah. Uh, but you got anything left for Matt before we hit him with the last question of the night? No, I, um, I, I love how you want to talk the hover rig. And I, it was one of the coolest episodes I think we've done on the Lure Lab. And it's something that I always look at. And I'm like, I need to go out and fish this more. My issue is I have t- like trouble time fishing because I've mostly been guiding. So yeah. um, it's something that I have tied on when I go out fun fishing. And then I end up just graphing for like six hours half the time. So I don't <laughs> even make a cast. So it's like, uh, <laughs> but no, it um, it is a cool thing. It is here to stay. I think it's going to catch on more and more as you go. And the trouble is, like you said, it goes in cycles, right? Like look at the bladed yeah. jig. 10 years ago, nobody was throwing the bladed jig. And now everyone throws a bladed jig and nobody throws a spinner bait. So it's, um, yeah. it'd be cool to see the cycle of it and all the innovation that you guys have coming. The tush rigging option is a really cool one. So I, I like seeing the videos of that one. I yeah, think what he's a... saying, Matt, is we need a half ounce to an ounce hover rig so we can use it uh, like in fifty feet of water on the Great Lakes. <laughs> we we got we got some bigger ones coming. Let's freaking go! <laughs> there you I go, like Andy. It. There's your solution. I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I appreciate it, guys. I love coming on, and you know, I could talk. I could talk tackle tinkering way too long too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what your YouTube channel's for. So if anybody lives under yeah. a rock and isn't subscribed already, highly encourage you to. It's uh whether you're listening or watching, it's in the show notes. You guys can go right to his YouTube channel, subscribe, and learn a heck of a ton. I certainly binge off of it and uh have found some things that have been really freaking cool, like the hover rig from watching the content. Yeah. So uh, I think that's where I first learned about it too. And I was like, ooh, what is this thing? Like you put a video on it, what, like eight months ago, I think was like the first one or even a year ago. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I So the production model came out in February, but I was talking, I was doing videos on it like while I was testing it back in probably October. Yeah. So, so a long a time. Ago. Your yeah. videos have bounced around our group chat a few times. We've been, <laughs> we've been, I hope, we've been tinkering I hope in, our, in our minds reason. for good reasons. Yes. For well, us, for you never reasons. know. Don't let him lie to you. You never know. <laughs> we only talk bad about Andy. Don't worry. I, dude, I mean, this is this is the best part about YouTube is meeting guys like you and doing this stuff. Like we're all just fishing nuts, and yeah. we love to talk fishing. So, without YouTube, we wouldn't we wouldn't be doing this. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And you know, for me, from a brand standpoint, YouTube has definitely been. I mean, it's been probably the best thing for my career in terms of really bringing everything together. It's allowing me the opportunity to do core tackle. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel like it's just, it's been, it's been really good. Yeah. I mean, I uh, love the I'm fact that you it. and Johnny are taking the reins or have the reins on that. Cause it's two mega minds that are very creative <laughs> and thoughtful. I mean, you see the content that you guys come up with. You can see the imagination there. You can see the creativity. And obviously, if you have to do YouTube and do it successfully, you need to have the work ethic to do it. So I don't see – I think it speaks for itself why it's it's doing so well. Um, but my la- our last question for you of the night that, Andy, we haven't been able to ask this in – Oh, it's been so feel, long. It feels like a long time because we've had some oh, – no. <laughs> it's we always ask this for people that are new to the show. Their first time yeah. on the show, that's when we ask it. We haven't had a new guest in, in a minute here. Yeah. Um, and and that is loaded, absolutely loaded. loaded. No preparation. Uh, we throw it to the fire. 
Uh, <laughs> that is, if you could sit down, have a steak and a beer with three different individuals. Doesn't have to be fishing. If you don't want it to, they could be alive a thousand year, years ago. It could be Sasquatch. Whoever you want it to be, steak and a beer. Who would you sit down with and pick their brain? Man, that's a that's a that's a good question. You're putting me on the spot right off the bat. Uh you know, I I would one one would probably be Kevin Van Dam, just because I've he's one of the few guys I've never actually really talked to in the fishing industry. And I, I would love to like have his full take on it. You know, he's, he's seen it all. So I, I would, and I know that's kind of like, he's a, you know, the guy of the moment at, at this point, but he's definitely somebody for me, for my career was a, you know, very, very early on, he was a big influence for me. Um, so I would love to talk to him about f- the fishing world. Mm-hmm. Um, man, who, who else? There's a lot of people. I, you know who I, I'm a big fan of, uh, Joe Rogan. I would Hell love, yeah. I would love to talk to Joe Rogan. Like not on a pot. I mean, I'd love to do it on a podcast, but I, I would, <laughs> yeah. I think he would be a really good one just to engage in. He, he, he always plays. I think he plays down how intelligent he he actually is. And from that standpoint, I just feel like I would be blown away by him at a dinner. Uh, give me one more. I'm trying to think. Of, this is one I wish I had some time on because I feel like there's so many people out there I would love to have a, yeah. a dinner with. Well, why do you think of the third one? Uh, when you mentioned Kevin Van Dam and his take on like fishing, like the industries in general, one really cool thing, and I'm spoiled with with my job. And you know, Matt, you know, I work with uh, Pure Fishing. You know, do the PR yeah. agency. Uh, we also have Johnson Outdoors, and therefore Kevin Van Dam's on there. And I get to talk to him every now and then. But one of the cool things that I learned is when they went on a shoot when they were coming out with Target Lock, is they had Kevin and Carl on the same boat, and my buddy Luke over there. At, Johnson Outdoors was telling me how like Kevin's never thrown glide baits before and people that know Carl loves, he loves throwing glide baits and Kevin was like, like a kid again, like a student asking a million questions, like barely giving Carl time to answer because he's asking the next, next question. Cause he's so curious where to throw him, how to throw five questions ahead before Carl could answer. Yeah. And just like exploring glide bait and he's bigger swim bait fishing. And it, it was like cool to still see, how, yes, he might yeah. be retiring, but that fire is still there. Is, is, I was wanted to share. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I think you run into that with a lot of, a lot of anglers. Like the truly passionate anglers about the sport are the ones that want to keep learning. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I, I grow. It's funny because I've got a a seven year old, my little boy Hank, and he reminds me so much of myself as a as a little boy, like who was head over heels in love with fishing to the point where it's annoying. Like I, I remember, you know, as a kid, always like, you know, my, my, my whole family kind of fish, like we would take these two week long vacations would be to Northern Wisconsin. We'd go to a fishing resort and that was our fishing for the year. It wasn't like I did a lot of fishing, but like, while we were there, you know, my, my grandpa would come in, my uncle would come in, my dad would come in and I'd ask him a hundred questions. What'd you catch it on? What color? Where were you? You know, how deep? Blah. And to the point where it was always kind of like a, a joke where 
in hindsight, I recognized they were kind of making fun of me because it was like, oh, here comes Matt with the questions. And I kind of annoyed him. But I, I recognize it now because I see it in my little boy because he's the same way. Like he just doesn't stop with the questions. But it, there's something special about somebody being passionate about something, whether it's fishing, whether it's cars, whatever it is. When you see somebody that's really passionate about what they're doing, like to me, that's very motivating. Like that's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's an awesome thing. And, you know, I, I would kind of expect nothing else from somebody like Kevin Van Dam, who does what he does to be firing off questions about something that he's not familiar with. Cause that's mm -hmm. what we do. Like that's, I'm the same way. I know I annoy the crap out of people. And the funny thing is like <laughs> my, uh, my previous job, I was a financial investigator so I would review trading activity and basically interview the, the traders that made the trades and ask them question after question after question. So I have a lot of training regarding how to question people. So I relate that back to fishing and it's training like, questions. It's, it's it. just it's just Snowball. like question after question after question to to get to like drill down to the answer that I'm looking for. And I annoy the crap out of people with it because I just don't like let something go. But for <laughs> me, it's like I, I need those details to move on. So like I it's a I don't know. I you know, it's awesome. we're all crazy. We're all chasing little green yeah. and brown fish. I mean, we're all doing this for something that's so <laughs> unimportant in the world when you think about it <laughs> ain't that true so you're the you're in the you're in the dark room with a lampshade pointing at their face like, tell me your yeah. darkest secrets <laughs> yeah i mean it kind of was like that that's i don't funny. i don't miss it at all it, that's I've a hard thing that. to do is like tell somebody they've been committing some sort of financial fraud like that's a it was part of the reason why i quit the job because it got to the point where it was a little too stressful yeah, I can't imagine doing that. Yeah. yeah. Now I, I love that. I love that. It's a really great message. And uh it was actually pretty cool. Uh on Saturday, uh we were at awards for that tournament and uh had a there was another guy that fishes our trail who I'm friends with, and his kid came up to me. Apparently his kid watches my personal YouTube channel all the time. Mm -hmm. And he was like he was like, how, how are you how are you learning some of this stuff? And uh, one of the best advice I've always gotten to me, and it rang, and it's, it's very similar to this, was always be curious. Uh, and it's funny because that, uh, I saw that clip. I've never watched the show, but somebody sent my, I think it was my dad that sent me the clip from Ted Lasso with the throwing the darts thing. Yeah. Have you guys seen that? Yeah. Where yeah. he's like, always be curious, not judgmental. But I always thought that always rings true. Like, as long as you're always curious and fishing, you're always going to keep learning. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. I don't know if the yeah. kid understood what I meant by that because he kind of just walked away and rolled sides. But... <laughs> yeah, funny. I was cool. yeah. what like, i just want waypoints bro <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, sorry matt your, your last one your third one here's a uh, i'm gonna throw a weird one out there i'm gonna say al al capone oh i would oh, i would yikes. like to hear the stories from al capone's ear era and not not necessarily like a lot of people are gonna be like that's a weird thing because he's a gangster I'm not necessarily as into the gangster side of it, but he was a huge fisherman and he, oh, so there's one story I want the answer to. So I, I, I mentioned before, I like the musky fish and being that I live in Wisconsin, the musky is like the fish up here. And there's, there is stories that 
depending on what fish you consider to be the world record, there is one though that Louis Spray, who's got the technically what most people consider the world record muskie. There's a lot of stories that float around that fish that it was actually caught by one of Al Capone, either Al Capone or one of Al Capone's like guys, and they could not register it because they were wanted. And the game wardens were always like chasing them, having shootouts in the Hayward, Wisconsin area. So I'd I'd love to have like the full story as to whether there's any you will uh, never know <laughs> any connection between Al Capone and the world record muskie. I that's had no awesome. idea. That's freaking cool. I didn't know about that. That's pretty it's cool. like Wisconsin folklore. <laughs> well, it's you can you can go up uh Actually, Al Capone's house was for sale a few years ago. You can go up there, and they've got like, uh, like gun turrets and like the around the house in the garage. I mean, it was there's there's lots of they used to he he. There's a private lake on the property. They would fly uh, bootleg Canadian whiskey in, fly it down, land it in the lake, and take it down. Like there's, I mean, you know, I growing up in Chicago, Al Capone's a big thing in. Chicago in chicago but there's a lot of gangster uh connections to the north woods of wisconsin as well hmm. love it that, that's freaking crazy i had no, no wonder idea. why yeah. squatch is up there squatch well <laughs> matt almost guaranteed uh andy's wife amanda is probably related to him some way so you probably could just ask Andy. He'll get yeah, you connection. There, there's a good chance. <laughs> I, mean, I won't ask any questions. Scary. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, no, I no just question. want the fishy questions. Just the fishy questions. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's, awesome. that's really funny. But, I mean, you never know. Like, big Italian families, you just never know. Who, like, the line and, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, the family <laughs> history on her side, it's wild. So, there's sure. a chance somewhere somebody is probably related. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, man, thank you so much for taking the time out. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we can do this again real soon. Yeah. Let me know whenever you want me on. I'll be more than happy to come on. I appreciate it, guys. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Heck yeah, awesome. dude. We'll be talking to you real soon. Sounds good. All right, Matt. Take care. See you. That was good. Loki, you want to talk Sasquatch more? But we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll let that Squash. rest. We'll let it rest for now. <laughs> maybe. Here's your maybe Squatch is not just aliens, but maybe it's like the underground Italian mob still running wild dressed as Squatch <laughs> in Northwoods, Wisconsin. It's just some punk kid who's like seven feet tall in a town with a gorilla suit. Just, just trying to hide a size 17 feet. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be on Nat Geo next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do. I low key. My dad and I loved that Finding Bigfoot show. Oh, like yeah. where we would just tease about it, but then my friends and I would straight up go camping the next, like that next weekend, and do like the tree knocking stuff at night. <laughs> like we're total nerds. Love <laughs> <laughs> to be a kid again, man. Oh, be incredible. Have your ear up to it. <laughs> well, did you ever watch that show? I watched tidbits of it. I don't really remember it, but I do remember watching it. So Dude, it was it was wild. Uh we won't get into it. Well we'll save it for the if we end up making our Sasquatch show and we'll tell people about it. Perfect. After but, hours serious angler. Great serious there we go. angler episode. Yeah, after hours. We'll make it yes. uh we'll make it a premium members on, on YouTube. YouTube members. That's what we'll do. If you guys want to talk Bigfoot. 
for we make ourselves sound like too much of lunatics but um for real though that was an awesome episode with matt and uh, especially talking the hover rig uh, i'll be very uh, i'll be very excited to watch him smack him on the hover rig on bbt live next year uh, looking forward to that um uh what i will do actually after this episode uh i meant to add it in here i have matt's youtube channel in the show notes of youtube and mp3 at the moment but what i'll do is actually include the lure lab episode as well uh with matt talking the hover rig specifically if you guys want any more tidbits and of course if you want even more information his youtube channel is packed full of it highly encourage you guys to go check that out over there but uh andy i'm about to sign off here what uh what can the folks know coming up guide wise anything along Ooh. those lines to uh Look forward That's a great to. question. So um, if anybody's looking for a last minute date on the water, I have next Wednesday and Friday available. And then after that, for the month of September and October, I think I have like 13 days total available. And my May and June next year are almost full. So if you want to get your date on the calendar, I would strongly suggest planning your trip now because I'm starting to reach out to my clients from this past year and they're all starting to take up those days. So if you want to get to Buffalo and catch some smallmouth or hit up the Finger Lakes, catch some largemouth or smallmouth, the time to plan for 2024 is now. So before the days are filled. Y'all heard him. Yes. Well, Andy... It was a lot of fun. Thank you again to Mr. Matt Steffen for joining us. That was an absolute pleasure. Yes, uh, guys, for Friday's episode, we will be having uh, Mr. Jeff Queen on from One Queen Tackle, but also, too, from Master Cup Fishing to talk about the new team trail that he has got going on starting this fall. Oh, that's pretty that's interesting deal. So with, cool. With legitimate, actual, like, monetary betting involved in it. Um, so we're going to break that all down. Um, super pumped that that's actually happening. It's the first time ever happening in fishing. I remember it was supposed to be a thing in MLF, and I don't know what happened with that. Um, but regardless, it's going to be a fun episode. That'll be for Friday. Uh, and then coming up next week, uh, for next Tuesday Night Live, of course, next Wednesday, or excuse me, next Monday is St. Lawrence Fantasy Fishing. It'll be our second to last fantasy fishing show of the year. Uh, and next Tuesday Night Live, we're having John Garrett. John Garrett on the show. Oh, that'd be um, good who's sitting, who's sitting nice to try to qualify for the Elite Series next year. Awesome. But, uh, folks, appreciate y'all as always, and uh, we'll see you on Friday. <laughs>